So good morning again. Um, I thought today I would dive into all of my scriptural reasons why I do believe that scripture is clear that the rapture is a pre-trib rapture. Um, I know, again, like I alluded to in the very first episode on this channel, which is kind of why I started this channel in the first place, that there has been a very heated debate about it. And again, the thing that has my radar up about this quote-unquote debate is that I really see the post and mid-trib believers absolutely trying to belittle and pull the pre-trib rapture believers away from that belief in a very negative way, which um, tells me that there's something very dark about that argument. Um, Again, I haven't seen in many uh, the the preacher believers like myself. I, I, I've never seen that kind of negative, dark energy coming from them. But I do see that from the other side. Um, so I do believe that there is a twisting of scripture happening with this argument. I think it's a part of the false doctrine that we were warned to be aware of. Um, and I want to help you guys because I I know for me. When I was looking into this argument, it was very unsettling because a lot of the mid and post-trib arguments on the surface, they sound plausible. But again, when you balance it with the entirety of scripture, which you have to do, it doesn't make sense and it doesn't fit. Um, I'm going to say it again, even though I, I said it, <laughs> I say it all the time. Scripture will always support itself. If you believe an interpretation of scripture in one chapter that is contradicted anywhere else in scripture it's not scripture that's incorrect it's your interpretation that's incorrect once you have the right interpretation every single part of scripture will make sense and support the interpretation that's correct so the first thing i want to talk about with this is throughout scripture there is a very constant explanation that the rapture is imminent that it could happen at any time there's even parables about you know be ready because you don't know when your master is going to come back so it's very clear and it would be hard to argue away that the rapture has always been tied to an event that is imminent so whenever you're thinking about the rapture, you have to keep that in mind. You can't erase that. You cannot erase parts of scripture simply because they don't support the doctrine that you want to hold on to. You have to take scripture at its word because it is the word. So in that sense, which is just one of the uh, arguments I'm going to put forth here, in that sense, any belief other than the preacher rapture doesn't make sense because like I've said before, scripture is mathematically perfect. So when the seven-year tribulation starts, we know the clock. We know that it's three and a half years and three and a half years, and that's it. So if you believe in a mid-trib rapture, when the seven-year tribulation starts, you know you have exactly three and a half years, and that's when the rapture is going to happen. Where's your sense of imminency? Where's your sense of you got to watch, you got to be ready? You don't need to. You could, you could dilly-dally for three years plus and at the three and a half mark then you could go okay now i'm ready and look up that's not what scripture says same with the uh post-trib rapture belief you have seven years 
So where's your sense of imminency? You know, for seven years, you don't got to worry about nothing because Jesus is not coming back. Do you think that there's a rule that Jesus can or cannot come whenever he wants to? So when you believe in a mid or post-trib rapture belief, you are completely ignoring, discounting, and erasing the entire theme throughout scripture that the rapture is imminent. If you believe in a pre-trib rapture, you have a sense of imminency because you don't know when he could come. There is no clock. We know that 2,000 years from the cross is the 69 weeks of Daniel. What we don't know is when exactly that 70th week starts. So even with a pre-trib belief, even if you believe that that rapture is going to happen right before the seven-year tribulation, you don't know when that's going to be because we don't know exactly when the 70th week is going to start. So in the sense of imminency that the scripture talks about, pre-trib is the only one that makes sense. Next, as I alluded to before, it's very clear in scripture that when we see these signs start to happen, not after they've been happening for a while, not when they've been established, when we see them start to happen at the same time, look up, watch for me. Your redemption draws near. Look for me. Don't look for the Antichrist when this stuff starts. Look for me. Look up. The only group that is doing that right now are the people who believe in a preacher rapture. Because the post and the mid are basically telling you, as scripture describes the scoffers in the end days, he's not coming. Things are always as they were. Don't look up. Don't look for him. They get mad at you. Don't look for him. That doesn't sound like God to me. So the only ones who are actually following the instructions of scripture about looking and being wait, being ready and having your lamp filled are the people who believe in a pre-trib rapture. That's very important too. Because how can you claim you have your lamp filled if you're also at the same time saying, don't look for him now. He ain't coming. He's not here. We're going through this. We got to keep our eyes down here. No, that's not what scripture says. Scripture says, keep your eyes up. So that's important too. Now, again, as I said in the last one, a lot of mid and post-trip believers cling to that verse in Matthew, which is also in John, I believe, that says two are in the field, one is taken and one is left behind. Again, if you go to a hardcover Bible and find one that is as close to the original translation as possible, in my uh, studies, that means the safer, you will find that that is not what it says. What it actually says is two are in the field, one is received, and one is forsaken. That is a very different message and it's very important. Now, what you can do is look up the original Greek and Hebrew word in the passage where just before Jesus is going to ascend after he was risen from the dead by God. And he says, I will come and receive you to myself. Therefore, where I am, you will be also. Look up what the word is in the original Greek and Hebrew, the word that's translated to received in that passage. And then check and see if in the original Greek and Hebrew, it's the same word in Matthew and John where it says two are in the field, one is received and one is forsaken. In my studies, it's the same word. So it's not taken. So that whole twisted argument of 
no, no, what that means, what the rapture means is I've heard people say that it, it's the unjust, it's the evil that are taken off the planet and punished. And the believers are left here to go through the tribulation. I, again, I, I don't understand that argument. I think it's ridiculous. Um, but even if they wanted to believe that that argument is true, that's not the word. The word is not taken. The word is received and forsaken. So that is extremely important. Again, like I said, there's no accidental words in scripture. Everything is chosen for a reason. And it is also twisted by Satan, every specific word, for a reason. And I believe that twisting of that one word is a device of Satan to try to dissuade believers from believing in our blessed hope. The other thing that I want to point out is in Thessalonians 2, chapter 2, 6 through 8. People forget to keep reading. You have to keep reading 6 through 8. Because it says... I don't have it right in front of me, but it says the restrainer is going to be removed and then the lawless one will be revealed. That is very important. That is grammatically telling you that first the restrainer is going to be removed and then the lawless one will be revealed. Lawless one is obviously the Antichrist. Now, that doesn't mean that the Antichrist is not already on the scene. It just means at that point, we will know who he is after the restrainer is removed. Now, I know there's an argument with a lot of people about who exactly the restrainer is. And I've heard a lot of people say that the restrainer has to be the Archangel Michael. Well, I disagree with that, and here's why. Scripture has, in other sections, made it clear that the only person who can beat, restrain, hold back, outwit, cast out Satan is Jesus. Because even when the archangel and all of his angels are battling Satan, it says in scripture that the archangel Michael, even he had to call on Jesus to do it. That tells me that as strong and as wonderful and as divine as the Archangel Michael is, he is not the one who can restrain or hold back or beat Satan. The only one who can do that is Jesus. And the only Jesus presence we have on the planet now during the Age of Grace is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us. I believe it's the Holy Spirit through us that is holding back the evil on this world. And it makes sense to me that that's why in Thessalonians 2, 6 through 8, it says when that restrainer is removed, that's when evil is going to run amok on this planet. And it can't do so until that restrainer is removed. If that restrainer is the Holy Spirit, we have to go with it because Jesus promised us, and he does not lie. Scripture does not lie. Jesus promised us once we are sealed with the Holy Spirit, we cannot be separated from it. So if the Holy Spirit steps aside, so do we. And the only way that can happen during the tribulation is if we are actually physically removed from this planet because the Antichrist and that evil is going to be everywhere. Um... Now, the other, the other argument that I don't understand with the people who are saying 
there is a uh, post-trib and a, and a mid-trib or a mid-trib rapture is the very fact that scripture promises during the age of grace, the only thing you have to do to be saved is place your faith in Jesus Christ, period. There is no work that can add or subtract from your salvation during the age of grace. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters what you believe. It matters where you placed your faith. Did you place your faith in faith in Jesus Christ or did you place it anywhere else? That's the line about salvation during the age of grace. Did you believe that Jesus is the only begotten son of God? That he came here to die for our sins, to be our sacrificial lamb so that we could have eternal life and he took our punishment? And did you accept that payment by placing your faith in Jesus Christ? That's it. Now, scripture is clear that when the tribulation starts, that is no longer the age of grace. That is a new time period. And in the tribulation, it is clear in Revelation that the only way you can be saved is if you do an act. And that act is you cannot take the mark of the beast. Please listen to me. If you are listening to this and you are here during the tribulation, no matter what, do not take that mark of the beast. You will lose your salvation. So what doesn't make sense is if you are a believer here in the, in the age of grace and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ and we have been promised that once you truly do that, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, you cannot lose your salvation. How could you possibly then be thrown into a time period where it's like, oh, well, now I've changed my mind. You have to do an act. Again, scripture doesn't lie. It doesn't lie. Jesus does not lie. If you were here during the age of grace and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I don't see how it's possible that you were still here during the tribulation where you all of a sudden have to do an act to be saved. And ladies and gentlemen, that act during the tribulation is not easy. You know, I know a lot of people say so many people are going to be saved after the rapture during the tribulation. I hope that's true. But ask yourself honestly, how many people do you know who if they're standing next to a guillotine or a firing squad and they are told, renounce God or you're going to be shot or your head's going to be chopped off. How many people do you know who would actually stand and say, I'm still with God no matter what you do to my body? There are very few people on this planet who have that kind of strength. That's what's going to happen during the tribulation. So... If you're a believer now and you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you're thrown into the tribulation, a lot of those people are going to lose their salvation. And we're not supposed to be able to do that. So that, that, that part doesn't sit well with me. Um, I, 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 if you are a believer who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ during the age of grace, I don't see how you could be placed in a situation during the tribulation where you have to choose again. That seems to be a contradiction. But that is why, uh, again, I, the argument of there's no pre-trib rapture, it's only mid or post, doesn't make sense to me. That's not what we were promised. And yes, we were promised to be saved from the tribulation. Um, Jesus said we would escape the horrors of the tribulation. That's in, I believe, Luke 21, 36. Paul says Jesus is coming to deliver us from God's wrath. 1 Thessalonians 1.10. 
There are a lot of places in scripture where we are promised to be protected from the tribulation. Uh, I believe the original Greek word uh, for from is ek, E-K, meaning out of. God promises to keep us out of. It's very different. There are other places like with Noah where God promised to save him through it. That's not what it says about the church and the tribulation. It says in a couple places we are going to be saved from that. We are going to escape those horrors. We are going to be kept out of it. Again, scripture doesn't lie. So it doesn't make sense that there would be a mid or post-trib rapture because we have been promised that we are not appointed to wrath. The entire tribulation is God's wrath. He uses man for that. He allows Satan to do that. But the entire thing is God's wrath because there's only one person that opens all of the seals during the tribulation, and that person is Jesus. That is not Satan. Satan isn't opening the seals. Satan is in control, is not in control of the evil in the tribulation. God is. The entire tribulation is God's wrath. So if we have been promised to be saved from God's wrath, that we are not appointed to God's wrath, then there's no way that believers could be here during the tribulation. Doesn't make sense. And again, scripture doesn't lie. Um, Also, when Jesus is explaining the signs that are going to happen before the tribulation begins, he says it will be like the days of Noah and like the days of Lot. Which means they will be eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage and laughing and scoffing and everything's as it always was and nothing's going to go wrong. It's going to be a thief in the night and they're going to get snared up because they were not ready. They thought life was going to be the same today, tomorrow as it always was. There is no way that life is going to be anything like that. Life is not going to be normal during the seven-year tribulation. You are not going to be able to go to your Starbucks and get your latte macchiato during the tribulation. You are not going to be able to go online and listen to podcasts about scripture during the tribulation. You are not going to be able to open your mouth in town about anything having to do with God without being killed for it during the tribulation. The tribulation is described as the worst, most horrific time in human history. It will never be like that again, and it never has been like that, including the Nazis, including all of these horrible wars we've had. This is going to be a million times worse than all of that. There's no way that people are going to be laughing and drinking and getting married and giving in marriage and having their latte macchiatos at Starbucks during the tribulation. So something has to happen right before that starts because people now, even as bad as it is now, People are doing that. They're planning weddings. They're talking about having babies and all this stuff. And they're oblivious to what is about to happen. That's talking about now. That's not talking about after the tribulation starts. Very important distinction. Um, And also in Revelation 2, pay very close attention. I started talking in my last podcast about the different groups in heaven. Well, Revelation 2 makes it very clear that there are two groups of people sitting in heaven. There is one group that is seated on thrones in glorified bodies who have already been there in their white robes. 
there is another group of people who are souls, not bodies. Please pay attention to that. The first group is described as glorified bodies. The second group is is described as souls who were beheaded during the tribulation. Those are two different groups of people. And everybody hears the word saints and they they wrap everybody up in one group. Remember I told you in a bridal party, there's not all the same group. There's the bride and the groom, there's the bridal party, and there's the guests. Same idea that's being described in Revelation 2. There are people who are already there in their glorified bodies. And then there are souls who were beheaded during the tribulation. Those are the tribulation saints. The tribulation saints are the ones who came to Jesus after the rapture, during the tribulation, and were killed for it. The people who were there before, I believe, is the church, because they already have their glorified bodies. They are already up there. They did not have to have their heads beheaded, because they were not here during the tribulation, because they gave their faith to Jesus Christ before all that happened, and they were taken in the rapture. I'm pretty sure... That's the only explanation to that that makes sense. Um, And there were a couple other things in there too, but I'm already way over my time here. I wanted to keep all of these at about 15 minutes, so I'm going to stop here. Um, I hope that that helps. I will come back and talk more, and I really do want to come back and talk about the Revelation 12 sign because that is fascinating. If you have a chance before my next podcast, look it up. Look it up in Revelation, Revelation 12, and then look at what happened in 2017, and look at what's about to happen in a couple of weeks, I believe on September 23rd. It's fascinating. We'll talk about that next time. In the meantime, if we're not raptured, I will check in with you guys again, and I love you. Keep your faith. Keep your eyes up on Jesus. Hold fast, because this rapture is common, people. It is.